Good morning. Gosh, so good to be with you guys. Wow. Lord, thank you for that word. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for the truth that, that never, never, never can be afforded. It never dies. Thank you that we stand on your word. Thank you that this church is a place that stands on your word. Thank you that this church is a, is a church that elevates scripture and elevates the inerrancy of your scripture that we stand on, we believe it, we, we preach from it, we teach from it, we live on it. Our lives are nothing without you. And as we just read, we can do nothing apart from you. And this morning, Father, we just want to attempt, attempt to have a deeper understanding of abiding and living and dwelling with you. Amen? Amen. Good morning. So um, I, when, when Quig asked me to teach this morning and, and he asked me to preach from this passage, it's arguably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It probably, maybe, has had the greatest impact on my life, these passages of John 13 through John 17. And quite frankly, um, if I was only allowed to have a portion of Scripture that I could keep with me the rest of my life and I could never read from any other part of Scripture, this would probably be what I would feed on, eat on, live on on a daily basis. It's Jesus' words right before he was going to be crucified where he's having this private conversation with his disciples and washes their feet and this beautiful moment and this speaking to them about talking about how they're to live, what they're to do, where they're to go, where he's going to go. And so it's just, there's no way that in 20 minutes I can do justice to this passage of Scripture that's had such an impact on my life. So I'm going to do my best to just share four principles that the Lord spoke to me, I believe. And when I say spoke, I didn't hear an audible voice, but the Holy Spirit's prompting his teachings through Scripture that he spoke to me some 25 years ago that I believe has impacted my life that I live with even to this day. But before I do that, I just want to kind of set up the passage. You guys are walking through a series, uh, the I Am series. And in John, John very intentionally and specifically makes seven I Am statements, I Am statements, excuse me, in Scripture that are very intentional. He also has seven miracles that are very intentional. Now, many scholars in this church believe that there were eight I am statements, and that there were eight miracles if you include the resurrection being the eighth, and then if you include the eighth I am statement being where Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And each of these, each of these statements were, were very much put in place by John to speak to the deity, the divinity, the person of Jesus Christ. The number seven in the Hebrew culture was the number for perfection or completion. And the number eight was the number for new beginnings, new creation, a new order, a new day. So John is purposefully declaring that in Jesus, we have the completion or perfection of all that was and is, but also that in Jesus, we have the, the beginning of all that is to come. Amen? That Jesus and Jesus alone. And so each I am statement was the fulfillment of an Old Testament pr prophecy, teaching, fulfillment, and picture. In this I am statement, Jesus is saying, I am the new Israel. I'm the new vine. I am the source of everything. 
and that, that you can become and that will happen. And to the degree to which you abide in me and connect to me, the only true source is the degree to which you're going to bear fruit and that you can ask anything in my name and I will do it. The word abide here in this passage is used just 11 times, or just, it's used 11 times. John uses the word abide in his gospel and his letters more than any other usage in all the New Testament. The word abide here is the word meno in the Greek, or meno. It means, it has many nuances, but it has a dual meaning in this usage here in John chapter 15. It's a two-part. It means to be held continually, to be held fastly, but also to cling back or to grab hold back. So when my daughter Rachel, my middle child, who's probably... Um, Wow, she's a firecracker. She's a junior at Tech this year. When she was young, we told her not to ride her bicycle, tricycle in the front foyer of the house. And I came around the, the, the corner of, the, of the, the front hallway. I was kind of the enforcer of the family. Sheena would make the rules, and I was kind of the enforcer. I don't know if you dads have ever been that, but that was our household. I came around the corner, and she was in the foyer riding that tricycle. And I said, Rachel Massey, Rachel Massey. She was probably four years old. Rachel Massey. Get that tricycle out of the house. And she rolled that tricycle over to the stairwell, wrapped her arms through the stairwell, through the bicycle, and just looked at me. Of course, you know, being a young father, and and probably not the greatest at being a young father, I was like, oh, no, you didn't. And I move towards her, and I start picking her up, trying to untwine her from that bicycle, trying to untwine her from the tricycle. And you know how you have a child in your arms that's squirming and moving? And, and so I'm holding her, and she's flailing like nobody's business as I'm just trying to hold her, going, shh, be still, be still. And she leans back, balls up her fist, and punched me in the nose. Not being the good father, I put her on the front stairs and said, Stay. And when I came back about 10 minutes later, she was singing, and she said, I love you, Daddy. I was like, ugh. Punch me again. Punch me again. Right? Like, that's an an imperfect picture that the Father grabs hold of us, and he grabs hold, and he holds fastly until we stop our, our wrestling, we stop our squirming, and we cling back. You see, the child is always secure in the father's arms. But he, he or she doesn't feel secure until they stop fighting and grab back. That's abiding. That's what abiding is, is. And as much as I think I've learned about abiding, and as much as I think I know about abiding over these years, I've learned nothing. But I've got four principles that I want to share with you. That the Lord spoke to me all those years ago in trying or attempting to abide or cling back as he has clung to me, as he has grabbed hold of me. And the first one is this. He said to me all those years, Mike, you get in the secret place with me and build your substance and I will take care of your status. You get in the secret place with me and build your substance and I will take care of your status. For an example of that today, I want to bring up the Thompson boys, these beautiful, beautiful boys. I saw this on Facebook, and I couldn't resist. And even if it didn't fit with this sermon, I was going to have them do this. Come on up, boys. How do I turn this on? Where do I press? 
Thank you. Oh, press and hold. Oh, press and hold, sorry. Is it on? Testing. There we go. All right, so Benji, keep holding your ears. All right, Rachel, take it away. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Be kind one to another. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Do not be anxious about anything. Every good and perfect gift is from above. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. God is our refuge and strength and everything helps in trouble. He is the rock in our salvation. I raise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Know that the Lord is God and is he who made us. Love to love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul. My soul finds with God alone, and my salvation comes from him. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. Praise the Lord, all my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. A quiet spirit is a great Lord in God's sight. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice. May I never boast. Love the Lord. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on your understanding. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield. May I to attain the one who believes has eternal life. We are the more than conquerors through him who loved us. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are the Lord of the world. Zion hears and rejoices. All right. Oh, my gosh. That is so impressive. And Cole, I need a grandchild. Listen, there is a work, there is a work to hiding God's word in your heart. There is a work that must be done in the secret place that can be done no, by nobody else. That it's got to, there's a building that's got to happen in the secret place. Podcast cast can't do it for you. Quig and Tim's teachings can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Friends can't do it for you. There's only one way to do the work, uh, and it's getting in the secret place alone with Jesus and building your substance, hiding his word in your heart, and he will take care of your status. The second thing the Lord said to me was, Mike, it's much like the first. Your inner world must be bigger than your outer world. Your inner world must be bigger than your outer world. If your inner world does not exceed your outer world, then you'll be subject to chaos and circumstances of this world. Jesus promises us, you guys, his perfect peace. In the Hebrew, it's shalom. In the Greek, it's irene. And it means the authority to destroy chaos. He has promised us his perfect peace. How can we have the authority to destroy chaos if we're not building our inner world? Our inner world has got to be bigger in our outer world. We've got to be aligned with Jesus. 
The third thing he said to me is, Mike, the sole purpose of your life, the sole purpose of your existence on this earth is to bear much fruit. Fruit that will last fruit that will maintain, fruit that is eternal. The fruit we bear brings joy to Jesus. Guys, we are spending so much time developing fruit that is dead and dying and lifeless and fruitless. We've got to be recalibrating ourselves with the face of Jesus. We've got to be recalibrating ourselves with him and him alone to bear good fruit. And the fourth thing the Lord said to me years ago was, Mike, I will reward your growth with pruning. I will reward your growth with pruning. Imagine if, if I was in the vineyard and I've got my branches outstended and I've got this beautiful fruit hanging on the vine and it's wonderful and beautiful. And the vine dresser comes along and says, your fruit is inhibiting the other branches. Your fruit is creating shade that they will not grow because my goal as the vine dresser is to increase in the entire vineyard. And so I must prune back your good fruit in order to create increase in the kingdom. You see, pruning in the kingdom is not punishment. Pruning in the kingdom is an invitation by the Father into more fruitfulness. Pruning brings increase. You guys, I could spend the next six weeks talking about this passage and those four things. But here's what I believe 2020 is a year of that God is doing. He's pruning his church. He's lovingly, gracefully, joyfully pruning us because he wants increase in the kingdom. And we must take the invitation to realign ourselves and recalibrate ourselves with the face of Jesus. Time is now. The world does not need our theology. The world needs a demonstration. I keep in my Bible this quote by Elton Trueblood that someone gave me years ago and said, this reminds me of your household, Mike. I don't know if that's true, but what Elton writes is, what we need is not intellectual theorizing or even preaching, but a demonstration. One of the most powerful ways of turning people's loyalty to Christ is by loving others with the great love of God. We cannot and will not revive faith by argument, but we might catch the imagination of puzzled men and women by an exhibition of a fellowship so intensely alive that every thoughtful person would be forced to respect it. Guys, I I, I can't miss the moment here to take a moment where we as a body of people, as the ecclesia or the ecclesia, you know when Jesus said to Peter, to you, Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom in Matthew 16. He said, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter said, some say Elijah, some say the prophet. He said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this reality, this truth that I am the Christ, I will build my ecclesia, my church, my called out ones, the ones who are gonna live differently, who will look differently, who will live as citizens of of heaven on earth. And he said, to you, I give the keys to the kingdom. And he didn't say, And what I've thought for years, but the Lord's reminded me and changed my thinking. You know, he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I used to think that hell was coming against us. Gates are defensive, you guys. He was saying, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. 
And as you abide in me and live in me and realign yourself with me, I've given you the power and the authority to go wreck down, kick down, destroy the gates of hell. They, hell, is in a defensive position. We are in a position of authority and power. We've been shrinking behind our doors, guys. God is calling us, his kids, to recalibrate ourselves with his face. He's calling us to get on our knees. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, I will turn from heaven. I will hear, I will heal your sins. I will heal your land. I'll forgive your sins. My eyes and my ears will be attentive to the cries made in this place. Guys, our role, our job is to get in the secret place with him, recalibrate our faces with his, work on our substance, let him take care of our status, build our inner world, begin to build and, and develop fruit that he is the one that builds. Ah, oh, guys, the time is now. I, I, I'm not doom and gloom. I'm not trying to be all like November 3rd, that's our answer, no. It's not about Republican or Democrat. It's about Jesus calling his family, his kids. He says, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. Friends don't know. I mean, servants don't know the master's business. You now, we now know the master's business. And he says, come in the secret place with me and I'll tell you all untold revelation. Hide your word in my heart. Get on your knees before me. Call upon my name. Ask that the God of the universe will heal this land. Amen. We don't need more teaching. We don't need more words from Mike. We need a demonstration. And that demonstration's gotta come from the Father. My son Cole is gonna lead us in a song and I know we don't typically do altar calls. I just wanna take three or four minutes. There's a song that's become dear to me this last six months, nothing else, nothing else will do. I'm caught up in your presence, Lord. I just wanna sit here at your feet Now's the moment for us to recalibrate ourselves with the face of Jesus. If you want to get on your knees, if you want to stand, I don't care. Just recalibrate yourself. See, in that posture, he says, you can ask anything in my name and I will do it. It's crazy that the God of the universe says, you ask in my name, I'll do it. You recalibrate. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourselves in the Lord. I will give you the desires of your heart. I used to think, oh, he's going to give me whatever I want. That's not true. He says, as you delight in me, as you recalibrate your face with mine, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what to want. Let's recalibrate ourselves with the face of Jesus. Let's ask God that we would be a demonstration of power and love. Father, we stand before you. Just join me in standing, if you will. We lift our hands to you, Father. We just, we surrender, Lord. We've been running and doing this all on our own. And Lord, repentance is not us groveling on our bellies. Repentance is us just coming before you and saying, running to you, running into your arms, calling on your name, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right now in this moment, we drive a stake in the ground, Father. We drive a stake in the ground, Lord, that we're going to get in this secret place with you. 
we're going to develop our substance and let you take care of our status. That we're going to build an inner world that's bigger than our outer world, Father. Father, that we're going to realize and remember our sole purpose is bearing fruit, that we are fruit bearers. And Lord, we trust you in your pruning. We trust you that your goal is increase in the kingdom, increase in the vineyard. Yes, Jesus. As my wife is so fond of saying, Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the secret place will rest in the secret place of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And she says you can either dwell in the secret place and rest in his shadow, or you can hide in secret places and labor in the shadows. Father, we're going to be a people who no longer hide in secret places and labor in shadows. We're going to be a people who go to the secret place with you. Yes, Jesus.
Matthew 11 says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly.